Please turn this morning to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Let us pray. Father, we confess that we are in need of your consolation and your comfort. You know the needs of those who are in our congregation and you know exactly how to minister to those needs far beyond what any man or woman can say or do. Now may we receive your word and may it shine and burn within our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we'll step away from the Sermon on the Mount and we will look at another topic that I believe is needed in our congregation today, and that is the comfort of God. Over the past week, without knowing all that many of you have faced, I can say without a doubt that you have been in situations that have been positive as well as situations that have been negative. And those negative situations will lead you to being downcast and discouraged. You don't have to be very intelligent to know that that's just the way things operate. As humans, as children of God, when we are opposed, whether rightly or wrongly, our tendency is to forego the hope that has been given to us by Christ. Those of you that have not faced particular trials recently over the course of this week, you faced them at some point, and you are likely headed into one to be the bearer of bad news. When we face trials, there's only one right way to respond, and it's not with the power of positive thinking. It's not thinking through the problem, trying to figure out a solution on our own, and it's not working harder to fix it than we've already been working. In the midst of our trials, we need to rest in God. And we need the comfort of God. But we have to be careful unless we take verses like verse 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and we minimize the comfort that God gives. Because from us, our definition of comfort naturally is someone who will lend you a shoulder to cry on. Or someone who you talk and then they tell you what they think you should do. The God of heaven and earth hears our prayers. He hears our complaints because we are His children. And He does comfort us with a holy, a perfect, and a gracious 
comfort. His comfort is not fluffy. It's not syrupy. Neither is it meager. His comfort is exactly what we need. So what is this comfort that is spoken of in first excuse me, second Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four? Comfort is the hopeful reassurance we receive when we become discouraged and fear that we cannot continue. When you are discouraged, a lot of times the tendency is to be stationary. It's to stop where you are and not go any further. To think about all that is bearing down on you, all that has happened, and to become stagnant because there's no there's nothing that it seems like if we try if we did do something, we know it wouldn't work. That's some people's tendency. Other people try to get it fixed immediately, but they end up running in place. And all they do is wear themselves out emotionally, spiritually, and physically in attempting to figure out a problem that in most cases only God Himself can truly solve. If a glass bottle full of liquid breaks, in some instances you can put the glass bottles back together if the break's not too severe. But when liquid spills all over the place, you cannot get that liquid back in the bottle. It can't happen. So even if you could put everything together yourself, you can't restore what was lost. And that's intended. We are created as creatures dependent on the living God, yet we seek to live even as Christians. It is still our fleshly desire to live independent from Him at times. And when we come to a situation, we think, all right, what I need to do is I need to respond in such and such a way or I need to change this or change that and we develop our own plans of what we're going to do to take care of the problem and then it doesn't work and then we get further agitated and frustrated and eventually we get to the point where we feel like I'm quitting. I can't do this. Because you have no hope. Lack of hope kills the spirit. Proverbs said that hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And we have all experienced hope that has been deferred. The Holy Spirit in John 14 is called our comforter. Now the meaning of the term comforter is in this instance is one who comes alongside kind of like someone who is running a race and another comes along to help that person because the person is is becoming weak and is struggling in that race and someone who is a comforter comes along and helps that that that's one that that's one view of being a comforter. There, there's many other ways. A, a comforter is one who intercedes or who goes on your behalf to someone else. That, that person can be a comforter. A comforter could be one who is an advocate or a, another term for advocate is a lawyer who will argue your case. We're in need of all these things. But Paul is writing to this church 
to remind them in these first several verses of this letter that God our Father is first to them the God of comfort. That means He is the one who gives us hope to continue. If you don't have hope in your Christian journey, you will not proceed. Because there's no reason to. It seems pointless, it seems empty, it seems useless, and why care? I'm going to be here anyway, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to get any better. Other people aren't going to get any better. Forget it. But in Romans chapter 8, we read that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. To the point that when we do not know what to pray, He is praying through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. When we are discouraged and it's too deep for words to express, For the child of God, the Spirit of God is praying through you to the Father for what is best for you. When God's comfort comes, in whatever manner He sees fit to bring comfort, hope is reestablished. And we are motivated to continue on our journey. That's what we need. We must have hope. And when I say hope, it's not enough to say only, well, look at the bright side. When you die, you'll go to heaven. Now, that is comforting as it is intended to be, but how much hope does that give you for whatever situation you're in right now? I mean, I've heard Christians pray, Lord, I don't know how I can deal with this, If you would see fit, please just take me on. We're talking about like 30-something-year-olds and 40-year-olds who have families. But they become so despondent, they wouldn't literally commit suicide. But the only hope that they know of is that when they die, that they will be with the Lord and they don't see any hope for whatever their situation is. And we're not talking about extreme situations where everyone has left them and they have nothing and they're you know an alcoholic and a drug addict and all. No, we're talking about people who are in the church who seem to have everything put together, everything's right on the outside, but the inside they are dying. And they pray something like that which is, in effect, a wish to die. Because the only hope they know of is after this life, and that is not the intention of Scripture, to only give us hope after we die. Our hope is needed right now. And that's why Paul tells the church at Corinth that He is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our tribulation. So, this morning I want us to look at three things that we must do to receive His comfort. And then this afternoon we will look at the means He has ordained for our comfort. Number one, in order to receive the comfort of God, we must stop seeking it from wrong sources. 
To receive the comfort of God, we must stop seeking it from wrong sources. There are many things that we are tempted to look to for comfort during our periods of hopelessness. There's a lot of, a, a lot of things that it looks like if I do this, if I engage in this, if I look at this, I will feel better. And what is the person going for? Many times they're not saying, how can I sin the most in the shortest amount of time? Of course not. But when you are in pain, when you are downcast, when you are discouraged, you will look to anything that appears like it could be a life raft. Sadly, Satan will throw you a lot of things that appear to be a life raft, but they're actually temporary views of poison-laced lead that when you grab a hold in the ocean you feel like you're drowning in, it will sink you to the bottom. You, you think, if I could just get a hold of this, you're hurting, you're spiritually starving, and then you, you ingest it and you hold on and you start to go down and it kills you on the outside and it kills you on the inside. It's, just, it's all together deadly. People can be strange sometimes. Only other, only other people. Never you individually, but only, I mean, I, I've said that before. I mean, it, it's only, you know, I'm normal, everybody else are the ones who, who are not as normal. Everybody thinks that. But I say that we're strange because we will search and search and search for the most shallow sources of comfort just because those sources are close. Just because it looks like it'll help. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, Verse 13, the prophet writes, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, this is the Lord speaking, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. So, the people of Israel, or in this case of Judah, they had forsaken the true God, but whenever we forsake the comfort that God Himself gives, whenever we forsake Him, we automatically go towards something else. We cannot exist without having some reason to continue. For someone who is caught in the midst of an addiction, the only thing that they can think about during a time of struggle is when they can fulfill their desire for that addictive substance or that addictive experience again. That, get, that is their reason for going on. That is, that is what they look to. And then, when we receive whatever it is, and granted, for, I realize when you think when I'm talking about something that's addictive, we're thinking of you know major habits that would get you probably put away in rehab for about a you know, three or four months. But we have the small things, too, that we reach to. When we do that, we are still forsaking 
the fountain of living water and we're making for ourselves broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It can be people. It can be things. But they are all empty sources of comfort. They don't give what we expect. And I'm not only talking about sinful things here. When you are discouraged, it's possible to put your hope in and to seek hope in a person. To wrap all of your thoughts around getting relief when I'm around this person or this group of people. Not wrong to be around people. It's good, in fact, to be around people when you are, especially when you are in the midst of discouragement. You know, you should not just try to cloister yourself off. But when a person becomes your hope, when a person becomes your source of comfort, when that is what you live for alone, you're seeking it in the wrong source. And you will be disappointed. No one can fulfill what only God Himself can fulfill. They can't do it. Now, for a very short time, you may think that things are okay. But they're not. And the comfort of God is not always immediate. It doesn't come when we pray and we finally say, Lord, I am struggling. I am in need of comfort. Please help. Amen. And then we open our eyes, get up off our, of our knees, and it's like we've just feel the weight of the universe lifted off of our shoulders. And everything is fine now. Don't have any problems anymore. Thank you. It doesn't work like that. Most of the time it doesn't work like that. Other sources appear to be quicker. But this only adds to our problems like a soldier that I read about during Operation Desert Storm in 1991 in Iraq. He was lost from his unit in the desert and he had been without water for several days. He finally came upon a stream that was crystal clear and he was really excited. So he bent down and started to drink and it was an acid spill from one of the um, bases of the uh, Iraqi army. So they had been pouring out acid in the desert. It looked like water, and he started drinking it, and it burned his mouth. And, of course, he didn't actually drink the stuff. He spit it out. But still, can you imagine the frustration of being thirsty and then looking down and seeing what looked like water and then going down there and just putting it all in your mouth because you're so excited in the anticipation of receiving comfort finally and then it gets in there and it turns out to be something worse than not having water. You could say the same thing about those who were stranded on the sea, who were thirsty. If you drink seawater, it's worse for you than if you just didn't drink any at all, if you didn't drink anything. The same is true for us. If we don't pursue our comfort in God, everything else 
will make us worse and make us more discouraged eventually than we were before. When we seek comfort from the wrong sources, it may look good, but it will be harmful. Number two, to receive the comfort of God, we must trust that He will give it to us. We must trust that He will give it to us. In verse 3 again, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. In Psalm 71, verses 20 and 21, Psalmist writes, Thou which hast showed me great and sore troubles shalt quicken me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Thou shalt increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. He comforts us because He's our Father. If you as a Christian don't fully comprehend the fact that God is your Father, you will not be able to trust that He will send His comfort. Think about the passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus said, What man is there of you if your son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? We wouldn't do that. And the point is, if you wouldn't do that and you are sinful, how much more will your father the one who is perfect, the one who is gracious, the one who has redeemed you and saved you from from destruction, how much more will He give you all that you need? It is necessary that we believe that He will send us His comfort. Otherwise, we will not be open to it. We must not forget during the midst of our trials that His comfort is present because we belong to Him. It's there. You may not feel that it's there. You may not think that it's there. But it is. It is a part of the great salvation that we have received that we heard preached last Sunday. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, that is not an attitude that Peter is saying should be odd among the people of God. That's not something that should be different among us. That's something that should contrast us with the rest of the world. That when we face trials because we know that we have with our Father a grand inheritance, not that we are anticipating later, but that He has given us right now, most of all knowing that the Lord Jesus has come and has vindicated Himself in the world and has vindicated His children in the world. We believe Him and we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Before we can receive His comfort, we must have faith in our relationship to Him. 
we are, as adopted children, sometimes we are afraid that our Father is not all that He said He He will be. We think He can't deliver fully on all these promises. And we would never say it because that would be wrong. We just don't think it's true. And I say we don't think it's true because if we did, we would open our arms fully to receive His comfort and not that of something else. Now, one reason some of us don't trust and don't believe is because He's not given us His comfort is not always exactly what we want, and we'll look at that more in a few moments. But He gives us things a lot of times that we don't like. Kind of like I told my mother when I was young, when she said, I love you. And I asked her for, I said, well, since you love me, will you give me all of the, and I forgot what it was. It was some type of sweet thing. It was either a dessert or some cookies. or Well, will you let me have all the cookies that I want? Or all the popsicles that I want. And she smiled. That motherly smile that I used to, it used to bother me because I, I knew that she wasn't going to let me have it. <laughs> she said, no. I said, but you said you love me. Right? It's because I love you that I don't want you to get a stomachache. Our Father doesn't give us immediate relief from things. Because many times He loves us. And He desires what is His best, not our best. It says, The author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 11, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For they that come to Him must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So if you are to come to Him and in effect He bless you with His grace and joy and comfort and such, you must believe not only that He is, but that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You must have the expectation. You must have the hope that He will indeed give you all that He has said. But when you have that hope, you are doing so on His terms has to be in faith. We trust that He will give us what we need because He is the Father, our Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Number three, in order to receive His comfort, we must remember that He decides when and how comfort will come. He decides when and how comfort will come. I just want to look at the first clause in verse 4. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation. His timing for giving us comfort is very specific. It is when we face tribulation. There are trials when we specifically need the comfort of God and He always, always provides the comfort that we need. However, We are not promised comfort when we worry because worry is anticipating trials that have not yet come. When you worry, you are considering things that may happen or may not. 
In other words, you're thinking about possibilities and what the consequences of those possibilities could be. And this is not our business. Jesus said in Matthew 6.34, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. In other words, there are enough things going on today and you, are, you receive grace for what you need today, not for what you will face tomorrow because you don't know what you will face tomorrow. And if you try to figure out what you will face tomorrow, there's no comfort for that. God promises comfort for the trials you face also while you are obeying Him. Not for the potential trials you might face in what may come up as you obey Him. You may think I'm being facetious, but how many times have you worked yourself into greater distress because of worry? Because of thinking about, all right, I've done this. A may happen, B may happen, or C may happen. If A happens, then and then you just start going through the possibilities. Have you ever done that? Yes, we have. In fact, I'll say this. If you have not, you're probably the first person I've ever known who hasn't done that at some point. Now, I don't mean that, that everyone in here has gotten yourself worked up and is literally sweating and, and, you know, is in such stress as that, but have at least been burdened down by the thought of what could happen in various situations. Now, yes, a prudent man does foresee evil and hide himself. It is wise to have a anticipation of something that could happen if you are in a direct, um, if you're in a situation that it is a very strong possibility. But there is a difference between being prudent and worrying. He comforts us in our tribulation, not our potential tribulation. Charles Spurgeon talked about in one of his books, I think it was one of his autobiography, the first volume, that he used to worry about how he would respond if he was asked to give his life for his faith. Because he didn't know. And he worried, how will I respond when this happens? And then it occurred to him, it's not happened yet. And I don't know. Now, of course, I'm paraphrasing. But I know that he promised to give me all the grace that I need for each day. And so, if I trust him today with what I face, he will give me what I need tomorrow for what I face. Sometimes we can become discouraged at just not even our situation, but the situation of others. I mean, the Scripture is filled with instances of people, or with instances of warnings to not become upset over wicked people that are blessed. You would think that they were that the people were really bothered about that, just like we are. For example, why in the world would God bless the president we have right now to be reelected? Why would he do that? He's a wicked guy, or he's done wicked things. Why? There's an answer for that. In Psalm 37, verse 1, David said, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So, in the... Stress 
of seeing those who are wicked, those who cut corners, those who are in business and who cheat and lie and steal. And we really wish that God would punish them yesterday for what all they've done and make them lower than the dirt so that all the the, the righteous middle class can be vindicated. We don't say it like that, but you know that that that's underlying some of the view that that people have. And David said, "Don't fret, don't worry. God is not going to give you comfort because you are upset that His justice is not coming in your time. And there can be people who have done wicked things to you. David faced that. There were people who were." just out and out wrong and sinful and wicked toward him. And yet he writes, don't fret because of evildoers. And he knows what it's like to have evil done to him. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. And he says this over and over and over and over. God is a judge. He knows what he's doing. You don't. Keep your mouth shut and quit worrying and trust him. He gives comfort not for our personal judgment wishes on others, but for our tribulation. So he does not always give comfort the way that we would like. But there's even another element of not giving the comfort that we would like, and that's the fact that when we've sinned, his method of comforting us is unpleasant. Psalm 23, verse 4, which we read earlier today, said, Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. We think of the, you know, the gentle shepherd with his rod, and he's just out there, and he just has his rod so he can have a walking stick. You know, and he, he just, he whistles to the sheep, and the sheep just come to him, and then, you know, ba ba, and then he pets them and everything, and, and it's all this really peaceful, pleasant world. And that's because none of us have ever been shepherds. That rod is very specific. It's for the same purpose that parents use a rod. What David calls comfort. When that sheep, will not listen. You have to comfort him. Whack! That's what God calls comfort. One element of what he calls comfort. Now, again, it's like, I've said this before, and I know I heard Brother Ryan say, when his dad used to give him a spanking, his dad would say, I'm doing this because I love you. And Ryan said, I wish you didn't love me so much. That's what we say, or at least think, when God does that to us, wish you didn't love me quite so much. This is pretty painful. Well, the rod is His element of comforting us when we are in sin. When we go astray, He uses the rod of chastisement to bring us back into line just as that shepherd uses the rod to bring the sheep back to where it needs to go. He's given us His Word, yet we're sinners and we stray. So, when we stray and He's called us through His Word and we won't listen, it, He brings the rod of chastisement. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, Whom the Lord loves, He chastens. That's really simple to hear. Painful to receive. 
Excuse me, that's verse 12. In verse 11, he says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he, ch- he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. It's a sign of delight to be chastened by the Lord. It's a sign of hatred, Proverbs says, to not be disciplined. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him chastens him. The King James word is be times. Uh, that means a lot. Often. If he gave us, think about this, if God gave us hope and the kind of comfort we want when we were in sin, when we had disobeyed him, how loving would that be for him to just bless us while we're walking contrary to him? Is that loving? Is that kind? He brings chastening so that we might repent. The sheep receives the comfort of God when that sheep, or receives the comfort of the shepherd when the sheep gets out of line so that that sheep will turn his way and get back in the proper path. Well, then when we repent, when he uses his rod and staff to comfort us, we too have our hope restored. Because in the very next verse of Psalm 23, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine, of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. That's another sign, another display in the psalm of his delight. And it's very different than the rod. We like being led beside still waters and being led in green pastures and receiving his anointing and his cup and goodness and mercy chasing after us all the days of our life. We like that. We don't like the rod. But this is a part of His comfort. We can't expect Him to restore our hope unless we repent of our sin. So, when we do these things and comfort doesn't come, do we go back to the preacher and say, I demand a money-back guarantee, please? Because it didn't happen the way you said I listened, I was patient, and now these two days are over and it's not any better. Realize that the comfort of God is not a chemical mixture that you put together and you apply liberally and then it's all better the next day. It's not a spell that can be spoken over you. During the times when you're hurting and facing tribulations, it will seem like the comfort of God is far away. And during those times, it is important to remember that God is your Father. And Jesus paid the price for your peace with Him. And no one can take that peace away. No one. Because it's bought for you. He calls you to dine with Him. And to rest in Him. And His comfort is near unto you. And you are called to receive the comfort of God from the God of all mercies who comforts us in our tribulation. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we cannot attain any comfort on our own. We can't grasp Your comfort. We must receive it from Your hand. 
And I pray that we would do that very thing, that we would repent of the sin that keeps us from fellowship and from communication with you and with others that we have sinned against. We submit ourselves unto you and we ask that you would restore our soul. Please comfort those who are in need in this congregation. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.